Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello there, and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am Tobias, and I'm here again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Toby. All good here? And I've got good news. I am taking the next Monday off from work. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say good news. I fixed my bike. It's been no, standing no, there no, for no. weeks. Almost there, but no, not really, no. But I am taking the full day off. And I figured um, that by now, I think I've worked about five months on the new businesses that I set up early this year. And I haven't really taken any, any days off beyond, beyond the regular weekends. I, I try not to work on the weekends. And I felt that perhaps it would be a good idea to take one day off. So now I've cleaned that day up. I have no meetings, no urgent things to take care of. Uh, the kids will go to school at nine in the morning and I have the whole day to myself. But now my question is, what am I supposed to do? What do you do on a day off? Do you go on the sofa, open Netflix and watch that for eight hours? Or do you do something special? Because knowing myself, if I have nothing, I will sort of casually walk to my home office, perhaps look at a couple of emails. Oh, there's this thing I need to look into. And suddenly you've spent eight hours sort of working, but it doesn't feel like work because it's fun. So any advice? What do normal people do when they take a day off? Go outside. Okay. So it, for me, I go into the woods, as, as you know, I mentioned that in probably <laughs> half of the episodes we have. Go hiking, go do something that requires your focus to be elsewhere, because even if it's physically straining to do a long hike, uh, it doesn't have to be long, by the way, but normally my hikes are pretty long. It, you know, it's physically exhausting, but it recharges you mentally like nothing else, because you cannot think about work. Because if you're going to be able to finish this trail, you have to focus on where you put your feet, right? And, and all the things that come with it. I cook outdoors. I make my food. I find food in the forest and I uh, kind of forage what I find and I make a meal out of that. Um, so that takes my mind entirely off anything work, anything tech, you know, no screen time. I have a phone with me, obviously, because in case of an emergency, I need to be able to call the family or something. Uh, where someone can, you know, know my location and come pick me up. But, you know, if you have a day off, make the most of, out of it. No Netflix, no TV, no screen time, nothing like that. Recharge mentally, you know. That is my best tip for mental health, but, you know, also for physical health. But the mental health aspect in the long term is probably the most important one. You're, you'll be perhaps sorry when you're walking there and it's raining and it's windy and it's... <laughs> You know, typical Scandinavian weather, but then when you're done, it's going to feel great. I I might just do this because there's a couple of really good trails fairly close to where I live. So if the weather is is not, as you said, rainy, I, I will definitely do this. And by the time we, we do the next episode, I can share the news on how it ended up. But how about for you? What have you been up to lately and any big plans? So we went to the zoo with the family. So there's a, a, an animal park. They have everything is outdoors. Uh, it's a safe activity. They have taken really good measures in keeping uh, the distance and they only allow online booking, 
which is really good. So imagine in the past, they could accept 10,000 people in a day. Now it's maybe 1,000. So they cut it down drastically, but they still have it open. So you, so you can go there with you know, all the safety measures. And that's kind of cool. We did not get eaten by any beers, but the kids love it. Obviously, one kid is four months, so she doesn't really understand much of it, but she was happy all the time. So that's good. Uh, so I take that as a sign that she likes animals. And the three and a half year old and the, the, ha you know, the half part there, obviously being super important, um, really loved it, you know, running around and, and pointing and, and talking about all the animals and talking about them all the time. So that's kind of cool. So again, no tech. My weekends are mostly spent with family or some kind of offline activity. So this is, uh, yeah, just another one. Sounds really good. And the zoos opened uh, just last week here in Helsinki as well. And they have the same system. You have to book in advance to schedule your slot. And now that you mentioned, not on Monday though, because that's my day, but perhaps on another day in the next week, I will take the family to the zoo as well, because it's been at least 10 years since I've been there last. Okay, so this is episode 82. Where is my data? And the idea where we got the idea for, for, for this episode stems from um, one project I was working on. And I figured, okay, we're using West Europe for everything or perhaps North Europe. Is my data in West or North Europe? Or is there something I need to understand more? And at some point, and this was probably in 2018 when GDPR um, became fully in effect in the EU region. Uh, I think everybody was sort of tired with data residency and privacy and personally identifiable information and how do we manage all this. But Toby, for you, if somebody says GDPR, what sort of ideas come to mind? Lawyer. Yes. <laughs> beyond no, beyond uh, lawyers. <laughs> So, so with GDPR, I mean, we, we do get those requests as well. More often than not, it's more a question of how do you comply with GDPR and how do you comply with the policies and industry standards for information security and things like that. Very seldom we get like a, a subject request saying, you know, remove my data or something like that, which is of course a good sign because we're not abusing the data. So when you say GDPR, I think uh, process and I think... Uh, you know, um, figuring out the compliance. So for, for me, I have a lot of dialogues around data and also where my data is located and where the customer data is located and how it's encrypted. How do you protect it? Who's authorized to access it? There's a lot of stuff around this. So when you say GDPR, I, I think the, the broader question is that, that we have a lot is the dialogue with customers explaining this is where we ha have things. This is how we audit what we have. This is where the, the data flows. This is where the data resides. And these are the data centers we use. Uh, and these are the types of PII, which is personally identifiable information that we store about a data subject or a person uh, or a company in that case. So, I mean, the, the, if you just mention GDPR like that out of the blue, I can probably mention a hundred things that comes to mind. But those that I just mentioned are like the, the main aspects of, of how I see GDPR and how I'm involved with GDPR. I think often uh, perhaps people not working in IT 
or people who are not lawyers, if they think about GDPR, for them, it means when I visit a website, it will, it will ask me if, if they can store a cookie. And that's, that's, my, that's the aspect in there. But today we'll focus more on how do we check and how do we understand where our data is in Azure. And by this, I do not mean that we travel to the Netherlands and, and, and check down and track down the Azure data center and go knock on the door to ask, excuse me, can I have a look at my data, please? That might not work. But perhaps some, some uh, phrases that, that we need to understand. So that would be locations, geos, and regions. So a geo within Microsoft Universum is an area of the world with at least one Azure region. So a geo for us would be Europe. For somebody else, it would be the United States, for example. Uh, are you using, uh, for geo, for your services, are you using just Europe or are you distributing between different geos? So we have uh, a multi-geo setup and we have this exactly for the regions uh, that we're talking about today, you know, where's my data? Um, or actually there's two reasons to why, why a multi-geo setup is beneficial, at least in my case. One is, um, you know, uptime, ensuring uh, high availability. So if a, a data center in Europe has issues, which I might add, it does have quite often, um, at least one service is down every day, which is fine. That's to be expected. Uh, so it doesn't really impact us that much. Very seldom it impacts us. But if you have a, an HA or high availability scenario where your stuff needs to be up at all times and or backed up into another uh, location in the, in the same geo, then you know, it makes sense. And then you can have a, a multi-geo setup. But we also have this for the, for the reason where some data cannot travel outside of the US and you know, it cannot reside outside of the US, it cannot travel outside the US, requests cannot be made from servers outside of the US and requests cannot be made to servers outside of the US. So everything has to be isolated. Same with stuff in, in Europe, right? Some things in Europe has to stay within the, the boundaries of Europe. And this is how we configure our multi-geo setup. So we can determine what information, what parts of the systems go, you know, go where and where in the world. Um, and yeah, this is uh, becoming more, increasingly more popular amongst customers to require and ask and, and inquire about how we do things. Um, so I've spent quite a deal of my time figuring out how can we uh, ensure that, you know, customer data floating in the U.S. stays in the U.S., in the U.S. data centers, no requests leave the system outside of the U.S. and so on and vice versa with Europe. So, okay. yeah, that's my, that's the bird's view from, you know, for, for geos from, from my perspective. So, so for me, I rely solely on, on the Europe geo. Occasionally I use something in Australia, for example, that's, but that's mostly for testing latency or replication or some such, not because I would have customers to serve over there. Uh, then from a geo, we have the regions. So that's a set of data centers that are connected through a high-speed, low-latency network. So for Europe, an example would be West Europe and North Europe, as an example. And I, I think anybody using Azure in Europe, we started with North Europe because that was the first one. Then we got West Europe. And I often 
use West Europe as the default one. I'm not entirely sure why I chose that one, but the latency often, it's about 40 milliseconds from Finland to the Netherlands. And North Europe, it's about 50. So not that much higher, but I feel it's, it's just that much closer to me. And this is before we might be getting regions closer to Finland. So that would be Denmark and Sweden in the future. Uh, for you, are you relying on Western North Europe? Are you using anything else in Europe? Uh, West Europe is the main data center that I use for pretty much everything. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons uh, is that every time there's a new preview feature, it rolls out there first. Whenever there's a service limitation, it is lifted from there first. So a lot of the times, for example, when we started using container instances and virtual networks and managed identities together, which were not supported by the majority of the regions, uh, it started becoming supported by one or two of the US regions and West Europe. And that seems to be the pattern for a lot of things. When they roll things out, they roll it out in West Europe and then the rest of Europe. So for me, it's, you know, we, we have, of course, you know, in legal aspects to, uh, to where, why we have data in certain locations or why we have some services in West Europe as well. But from the, if I could pick a free pick, uh, I would go with West Europe, regardless of juridical or, or um, you know, legal reasons uh, for, you know, the sole purpose that whenever I look at a, a new service, whenever I see update cadence, whenever I see service limitations, uh, West Europe is usually the region that works, whereas North Europe, as opposed to West Europe, a lot of the time, or sometimes at least in my scenarios, did not support that because the for container instance, for example, whatever we did worked in West Europe, not in North Europe. And the same has been for other services. So just out of that angle, I would, you know, by default, set everything up in West Europe. I can think of at least two services in Azure that initially when they became available in public preview, they would only be available in the US geo in a specific region in the US. One of those was Azure DevOps, or perhaps it was before we had Azure DevOps as it is today. And the other one was Azure Communication Services. So when that was in preview, I think that was in 2020, uh, it was only available in the US if we wanted to utilize text messaging as an example. So we have the geo, then we have the region, and within a region, we have locations. One location would be West Europe in this example. So this is crucial to understand that, that we have these definitions. And if we start with a super simple example, you select West Europe as your location. Uh, the region obviously is Europe. And you choose to deploy perhaps a new web application. So you go to your subscription in Azure portal, you perhaps use Azure Marketplace, you click on the web app, you fill out the details, and for location, you select West Europe. And then beyond the web app, you might spin up uh, Cosmos DB or Azure SQL, perhaps an Azure function or two, maybe service bus, maybe some Azure storage. For all of those, you select West Europe. So would you say all of your data now lives in West Europe location in Europe Geo? It's a tricky question, right? 
because uh, mm -hmm. there's all there's a lot of stuff you need to know about where the data flows and how the data flows and what kind of services interact with. But that is that is something where for each service also you need to take a look at how the how the data lives, how the data flows, what requests are being made, and what dependencies they have. So it's a it's a tricky tricky question for sure. And I started diving deeper into this, and my intention here was that the assumption that got me started is that everything is in West Europe, right? And Microsoft has a couple of tools for this. The first one is the data residency list, and the link will be in the show notes. And by using the data residency list, you can verify that, all righty, so perhaps I am using West Europe. Is it available to me? And what's the geo? And what sort of services do I have available in there? And by default, it shows you the US-based geos. But if I select something from, from uh, Europe, uh, let me select Europe, uh, it will tell me that, okay, there's, there's these and these regions for you to utilize. So this is sort of the starting point. I'm still fairly confident that everything will be in West Europe. But then uh, there's additional documentation that gives you the super detailed things that what lives where. And in order to understand how that documentation works, there's a Power BI report, which I find interesting because it's, it's a fairly massive report. And in there, you can select a geo. Let's say, let's say we select uh, Europe. And from there, you can select what services are you planning to utilize? And then it will list the data residency locations for you. What's going to be in West Europe? What's going to be elsewhere? And the exceptions that I found out is uh, services that have to do with Azure AD. So for Azure AD, you have two additional features, the B2B and B2C capabilities. And for those, the data will be stored in West Europe, but also in California, Texas, and Virginia. And this is mostly for sending out the invitations for your new users. So occasionally, the invitations will be sent out from an SMTP server in California, but it aims to go to West Europe. And this was perhaps the, the major exception that I found using the Power BI report, because it's, it clearly lists that. So it's not in violation of anything, but perhaps when you spin up an Azure AD B2B or B2C tenant, it's not imminently obvious from Azure portal that, hold on, I am setting up B2B, but actually something might happen in the US-based geo now. And at least to me, this was eye-opening in the sense that if I choose to deploy these perhaps more fundamental services in, in Azure, I really need to go back to the Power BI report to check that, okay, am I clear or is there something I would need to communicate back to my users or to my customers that since we utilize this service, it might mean that some data will be transferred from the EU to the US geo because we, utilize, we chose to utilize this and this service. Have you used the Power BI report? Have you seen it? I recall seeing something like that a long time ago, but it's nothing that I have taken a look at in, in recent days. Uh, 
I have reviewed a lot of the documentation and then consulted, of course, people at Microsoft for, uh, you know, how do we deal with these things and, you know, where do we, you know, where's the data going to go? But I, I haven't taken a look at that report, but it does sound interesting. So if, uh, you know, if, if that gives me an overview of where data is and, and where data might go, that might be something that's worth actually taking a look at. So I take it then this is super interactive if it's Power BI. So you can, you can click around, you can select, you know, what kind of service it is and uh, then, then see kind of where the data goes, right? Yes. And the, the report itself is nice because it gives you the world map. And when you select your geo, then you select the service, it actually pinpoints the locations for you. Okay, in Ireland and in the Netherlands, but also this, this and this location for you. So the, the exceptions beyond B2B and B2C, uh, there's one more, and that is MFA. So with multi-factor authentication, I think you still have the option to do text messages in there as well. Uh, they might rely on services in Virginia, Washington, and Wyoming. And I have to openly admit, I have a hard time placing Wyoming on the world map. I do know it's in the United States, but I don't know exactly where it's located at. I think so. it's kind of in the middle. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's slightly southeast of Washington. Okay. Don't uh, take my word for it, but, but I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I never studied US ge geography, obviously being in Europe, not on the, on the state level, but I think that's, I think I'm fairly sure that Wyoming is. <laughs> southeast <laughs> of Washington state. This show uh, rapidly reduced to Yussis and Toby's lack of understanding of the US states. But what I'll make sure is after the show, I will look it up for sure. Because somebody in the US listening on this goes, oh my God, guys, you really need to know the basics. But we don't. Uh, this reminds me of a friend of mine who needed to uh, visit Microsoft in, in Redmond, uh, close to Seattle. And he booked flight tickets to Redmond and not to Seattle. And he landed in Redmond, Ohio. Oh, oh, there's another Redmond. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. So, so technically, yes, he was in, in Redmond, but, but not in the correct state. But thankfully you can get a flight from there to Seattle, but it's an additional few hours, I think. Okay, so uh, action point for you, look up Wyoming on the Google Maps after the show. And when somebody stops me in the future in a conference, I will know the answer to this one. So Azure AD, B2B, B2C, and MFA, those three are highlighted on the Power BI report as utilizing services outside the Europe geo, meaning the US geo. I did not go through all of the geos, all of the AD services, because the geo list is about 15 and the amount of, of Azure AD services is about 15 as well. So that's a bit too many to check all at once, but we'll add the link to the show notes so you can select your own geo, select the, the, your own services to figure out am I in the geo fully or am I utilizing or relying on something outside my geo in a different geo? So the next obvious question is, is there a way to restrict this, to enforce 
that yes, I would like to use Azure MFA that everybody should use, but I do not want to rely anything on anything outside of my geo. And there isn't a setting for this. So this is something that's documented. And I sort of think that there's some backend services or some um, capabilities for such core services as MFA that need to rely on services into geos, just in case something breaks in Europe or vice versa. But also, I did not check that if my geo would be the US one, that does that rely on services in the EU region. So that would be vice versa here. But that's perhaps something to check later on as well. Yeah, I, I think these are all interesting points. And I think you bring up a, a, an interesting thing here uh, in general. Just because you select a region doesn't mean that everything will be in that region. And that makes sense to understand. Uh, so if you build products, if you have a website, if you have an acceptable use policy, if you have terms of services, if you have a privacy policy, you know, all these kind of things might make sense to take this into consideration there and say, we rely on, for example, Azure B2C. And that means even if we're hosted in, in Europe, um, you know, parts of the communication will happen from parts of the US. And then obviously having a lawyer or someone drafting that up with better words so nobody can actually understand it. Because to me, reading a terms of service is very much a, a legal jungle, um, which is why we have people who does that for us. But I think that makes sense to, uh, you know, to, to take into consideration. And when customers the next time ask, you can say, well, it's mentioned here in terms of services and the privacy policy that this is how it works with a link back to Microsoft saying this is how it works because this is how Microsoft works, right? No. Um, I, I think that's, that's sort of the core findings here. And that's good news at the same time. Because I felt that when I'm diving a bit deeper into this, and I did go through all of the documentation on this, I went through all of the data residency documentation, and also the end user online terms of service that has some, some footnotes on this. The, the good thing is that it's all documented. It's, it's not as if I'm deploying Azure MFA and suddenly finding out, oh, hold on, I'm getting a text message from, from Washington. This should not be. But it's also not prominently visible when you spin up a service, let's say a new Azure AD tenant uh, through Azure portal or, or through a script that it would say, hold on, you are actually deploying something outside your geo. So what we'll do is uh, we'll add the Power BI report, the additional documentation and the data residency lists in the show notes. Have a look at those, have a look at the report and figure out if there's additional capabilities that you're utilizing outside your geo that sort of requires some sort of documentation internally or requires you to refactor or re-architecture something that you planned on deploying in just one geo. All right. Okay, so now we still have the unexpected surprising question. I think it's your turn to ask. Yeah, I, I've got a good question for you here. And, and I mean, this is important, right? So listen carefully. You have to spend the rest of your life. And I repeat, you have to spend the rest of your entire life as a character in Simpsons. Which one will you choose? 
Simpsons is something that I did watch quite a bit in the 90s, but but since then I haven't really kept tabs on on all the different characters, but I do recall a couple of really good ones. So I think the obvious would be Bart Simpson or 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 Homer or something like this, but those would be too obvious. So my choice is Dr. Julius Hebert. <laughs> do you recall him? Yep. <laughs> yep. He's the he's the family doctor and and I recall that that one of his sort of trademarks was was that he's a competent doctor or most competent in Springfield, uh, and and he makes jokes jokes of his high prices, and and he's good natured and and he's always laughing and 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 enjoying. But perhaps the important bit here is why I chose him is that he enjoys what he does for a living. And I feel that's sort of the important thing. When you wake up in the morning and, and you, you think what sort of goals you have for the day, if you feel uh, enthusiastic and, and excited about those challenges, then it makes sense. But if already in the morning you feel, ah, oh, I have to go back to work and, and do this and that, I don't really like it, then you really need to do something else. And with Julius, he's been on the show, I think, from 1990 or something, when, when the first episodes were aired. He seems to enjoy his job. So that's my choice. Julius He's Hebert, been doing it for doctor. 25 years or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I've, I've been in, in, in IT for roughly the same time, and I do enjoy every day I, I get to work on these challenges. So, yes, my choice, Julius Hebert, the most prominent doctor in Springfield, probably the only one as well. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's a good answer. Good insights. All right. So this was fun. Uh, episode uh, 82. So where is my data? Go and have a look at the tools. Uh, check the show notes. And until next week. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.